Hello and thanks for joining me on episode three of LockPod. Today I'm joined by customer director from Vanquist Bank, Tom Alder. Today we're going to be talking about financial inclusion and how banks like Vanquist use data and what the future of the market could look like. Tom, thank you very much indeed for joining me this morning um, on LockPod. What I'd love to do, first of all, is just to get to know you a little bit. So could you give me a little bit of background to yourself and how you started at Vanquist, please? Sure. Thanks, Katie. And, and thanks for having me. Um, so I've been at Vanquist now for, for two years. Actually, my two-year anniversary was just a couple weeks ago. Um, and I've worked in financial services really my whole career. In fact, I started in financial services when I was only uh, 17 years old uh, back in my native Canada working at a, at a bank branch and, and have worked in financial services um, ever since. I spent a lot of years um, in, in uh, credit cards and lending. Uh, I've worked at a couple smaller companies as well in the mortgage market and in the personal loans market, um, uh, you know, focused on digital marketing and proposition development and branding and, and all those sorts of things in financial services. Um, but joined Vanquist two years ago, um, really, uh, for, for a number of reasons. One is I really like the, the product and the categories that Vanquist uh, participates in. Um, and uh, I just believe very strongly in the mission of the business in terms of the customers that we're trying to help and serve um, and the opportunity that, that's there within that customer segment. So uh, I've been really excited to be part of that over the last two years. And uh, you mentioned the mission there. Uh, tell me a little bit about it, because it is a really interesting one. It does seem that you guys are a little bit, uh, can I put it this way, customer obsessed? Yeah, I think I think we are customer obsessed, and and um, and it's something that um, uh, you know we get more and more so every day, uh, and it's part of my mission actually to make sure that that's part of the culture of of the company. Um, so we we look you know constantly at customer feedback, whether that's on Trustpilot or various tools that we have internally to look at feedback, and we try to understand root cause of issues that might be causing customer dissatisfaction, and try to work through ways to to improve that. Um, and uh, and we really believe that you know even though our customers are um, often not from the most affluent slice of, of society, uh, that doesn't mean they should accept inferior service or in, inferior propositions or inferior product, products or services. So we're very keen on making sure that our service and, and our proposition for customers stacks up against anyone that's out in the market. And, uh, you know, that's quite interesting. And, and we'll get on to financial inclusion in a little bit, actually. But just, just while we're talking about your customers, what is a normal or an average demographic of, of a Vanquist customer? And, and, and I suppose a follow on question from that is, have you seen a lot of change uh, in your demographic, certainly with the pandemic? Yeah, so our um, our customers are really, uh, really like, you know, the neighbours on your street in, in, in many cases. So um, they are almost all employed or self-employed. Um, they tend to be uh, skew a little bit younger. So we've got a lot of customers sort of under 40, between 25 and 40, um, although we do have some older and younger customers as well. Um, they work in a very broad cross-section of, of industries. So whether that's healthcare, teaching, hospitality, uh, retail, a uh, lot of self-employed actually. So we have a lot of you know taxi drivers or lorry drivers and, and, and things like that in, in, the, in, in our customer base. Um, so it's quite a broad cross section. Uh, I think you know what what they have in common is uh, is really this desire to join Vanquist and and start uh, start on a path to improving their financial well being. Um, so that's the common thread that links between between or amongst all those different customer segments. 
Um, and uh, and you know it's a big it's a big uh, it's a big segment really. So uh, across the UK, we really feel like there's somewhere between six and ten million customers who could kind of comfortably fit into the, our proposition and, and and what we're trying to do for customers. And that's really customers who you know for whatever reason find themselves um, you know we're going to talk about financial exclusion, but find themselves uh, with a little, a little bit fewer options than really they should have in terms of what is available to them from a credit and even a, you know, a, a savings or other types of uh, financial services product perspective. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and, and I suppose, you know, with uh, I mentioned briefly earlier, the, the global pandemic has obviously had uh, some really interesting effects uh, on people's finances, personal finances. Uh, you know, I mean, I've been reading quite a lot lately about people that are actually, they have more savings, uh, more disposable income because, you know, there's less outgoings. But equally, you know, a lot of people have lost their jobs and find themselves in, in a really tricky situation with their personal finances. Have you guys at Vanquist seen seen much of a difference yeah, so I, that's exactly what we're seeing as well. So we're seeing um, a bit of a polarization. Um, so there's some people uh, in our in our customer base who, because they're able to work from home or they're in industries that have sort of continued operating all throughout the pandemic. Uh, so we, you know, whether that's healthcare as as an example, key workers, um, essential service workers, etc. Uh, many of them are finding that they're actually able to put away a little bit more money right now than they have historically, uh, largely because they're not buying uh, restaurant meals, they're not traveling as much, those sorts of things. Uh, and so, you know, in some ways, you're seeing customers pay down debt, which is always always a good thing. Uh, but um, but on the other side, you do have those customers who are really being uh, significantly impacted. So. Uh, often they're working in hospitality or retail industries or they're self-employed. Um, those are the ones where we're seeing they're, they're, they're still on furlough or they're working reduced hours. Um, and uh, and uh, many of them are, are finding this a real struggle right now. And I'm sure they're very, very interested in how uh, the, the, the economy is going to open up in the next few months. And hopefully they'll get back to the full employment that uh, that they had prior to the pandemic. But it is very much a a polarized market at the moment with some, as you say, paying down and some, some finding it a real struggle. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it changes over the coming months and years, actually. Uh, and Tom, I'd love to kind of move on to financial inclusion, because I know, you know, you guys at Vanquist and also, you know, us at, at Lockbox as well. It's something that's, that's really at the heart of both of our businesses. What's your view on financial inclusion stroke exclusion? If you could kind of give me a bit of a, your thoughts on it, really. Yeah, so I think, um, it's an, it's an interesting concept. And I think the main part of the way that, that I like to think about it and probably at Vanquist, you like to think about it is um, it, it's really a journey for customers. So, um, and the journey really begins with, you know, like every journey begins with the first step, which begins with, um, you know, getting some form of credit, which then allows you to build your credit profile and credit score which then opens up a whole world of opportunity to you. Um, and so that kind of inclusion piece is around uh, allowing people that opportunity to get to where they're fully participating in, in society, frankly, um, as a result of having access to more financial products and services. So, um, you know, what, what, we, what we would say here is uh, obviously the, the end goal for many, many people, for example, might be to get a mortgage for a home. Um, and you know that's maybe many years in the future, but the reality is 
that unless you're able to build up some kind of credit profile um, and, and demonstrate an ability to manage debt, et cetera, it'll be very difficult to ever reach that goal. And with segments of society unable to even take that first step, those other life goals become further and further away and more and more challenging to reach. So for me, financial inclusion is uh, uh, around um, you know, putting the right products, propositions, services in place for customers so they can begin that journey and that step, which will open up things to them in the future. And not just open up things, but they open up things um, at really at the right price so they don't end up paying too much for financial products and services. There's always been in, in the financial services market, um, I think it's called sometimes a poverty premium, where, where oddly enough, um, the people with the, the least means end up paying more for financial products and services. And then as soon as you get lots of money, then you know, things become much cheaper for you, which is, which is a challenge that I don't think the industry has fully addressed yet. But I think the main point is um, trying to get people um, uh, you know, included in that system uh, improving their credit profile, improving their credit score, which will then bring access to more products and services at lower prices over time. And you can just think of, uh, you know, an example I would give as well is that, uh, you know, it, depending on where you live, having a car would greatly open up um, employment opportunities for you. And, uh, but to get a car, most people need to get financing for a car. And if you're financially excluded, then you can't do that, which means you have to find the cash to be able to pay for the car, et cetera. And all those things just start limiting people's life options. So I think financial inclusion is really about minimizing those barriers for customers and, and just general, you know, general people in society to be able to get on that path to, to get to that um, access to and participation in society fully. Yeah, I completely agree. It's quite interesting, though, because it, it, I, I suppose as an adult participating in the financial system, you know, you as you quite rightly say, you kind of have a, a physical goal in mind first before you end up on that financial journey. But I suppose, I mean, personally for me, I, I don't feel like enough's done at a lower level. So, you know, as a teenager in school, you're not told about your credit report. You're not told about, you know, the responsibility you have upon yourself to kind of build that model. Is that something that we should be doing more in the UK especially? Have you got any other ideas around, you know, how we can help people to kind of empower themselves before they get to this point of need, I suppose. Uh, I mean, I think absolutely it, it's an area of education that, um, you know, with, with three children myself and, and uh, all in high school and, and heading soon on to other education and university, et cetera, um, you know, I think they, they're lucky because within our household, at least I'm able to talk about these things and give them that, that kind of education based on my background. But uh, there's nothing really in their in in their courses that really prepare them for becoming, you know, savvy with money. Um, and uh, and you see that so often. Uh, in fact, people um, as they first get access to credit, whether that's overdrafts or more recently buy now pay later services or historically credit cards, etc. Um, it is at that young age where they make mistakes, which can actually set them back quite substantially in terms of their journey. So, um, and uh, and so I think anything that can help uh, younger people start from the right place in terms of understanding, you know, it's it's okay to borrow money for certain things, but make sure you have a plan to pay it back appropriately, and make sure you understand what the cost of that is, and and make sure that. Um, 
that you you don't put yourself in a position where you're going to damage your future prospects. And I think it, it, it's just something that we kind of ignore generally and just assume people are going to learn on their own. But too often, I think that ends up in a in a, in a tricky situation for people. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I suppose it's a bit of a, a loaded question, I suppose. But do you think we'll ever see an end to financial exclusion? Um, well, I mean, I think it's within our grasp. So uh, can, can we have completely see an end to it? Um, I mean, possibly not uh, down to absolutely zero. But if you think of an ability now to use things like open banking, uh, to be able to, you know, feed into more information to that decision about who may be able to apply for credit, um, which has long been uh, driven by information solely on credit bureaus, et cetera, um, and ignored things like, you know, let's say rental payments or utility bill payments as a as a as an example of someone being responsible and making their payments and commitments. I think all of that will help us. Um, be able to minimize financial exclusion uh, in in the future. Um, I think the there's a lot of innovation happening. Lockbox, obviously, being an example of that uh, in this space to try to find ways to help people um, begin that journey. And, and before, uh, I think there was just far less of a concern about um, trying to widen that access. It was very much you know uh, available to those who had relatively high steady incomes and uh, and had sort of demonstrated a strong track record of payments um, in, in various forms of credit. And now I think we're finding new ways to use data uh, and new products and propositions that I think will reduce financial exclusion down to a much lower level. Um, will it be eliminated completely? I think that's a goal we should all strive for, um, but pro- possibly not completely. I think you'll always have challenges for people for example, moving countries uh, is, is a challenging one and how do they bring their history with them. Um, I think that's something we can work on solving and we should, you know, should be able to solve. But that that's one where, um, you know, clearly that becomes a bit of a challenge uh, for including people who are new to country into the financial system. But I think it will get less and less. And I think it, there's solutions out there that are starting that will, will, will hasten that reduction in financial exclusion. Yeah, that's that. That's fascinating, actually, because uh, you know people moving country, especially that's that's a huge issue. Which uh, I think you know we could have a whole episode on that uh, at another time, actually, Tom. But uh, I'd be quite. You mentioned data there, um, just in your answer there. I'd love to know a little bit more about kind of how Vanquish uses data to make decisions, for example, on you know onboarding a customer. Is it something you could maybe shine a light on? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, um, we're, we're a very, very data-driven um, uh, company. Uh, we have to be because um, we're in operating in a space of the market where we, we do take on more risk than, say, a typical bank in deciding who, who should get credit and how much they should get. Um, I, I think, you know, we use a lot of the traditional sources of data uh, that we've mentioned before, such as um, bureau information we develop sophisticated scorecards to understand based on a, a person's profile, um, you know, whether they're likely to be, uh, you know, the product that we're offering is appropriate for them and responsible for them to use, uh, how much credit limit they should get, for example, how frequently we offer them an ability to increase that credit limit, how frequently we offer um, an ability to reduce their, their APR on their product based on their behaviors. So we're, we're constantly reviewing and assessing um, all those things to kind of tweak and optimize them uh, with a couple purposes, right? So there's, there's clearly 
a commercial purpose, as in as, as a as a for profit company and as a bank, um, we have a and a, as a part of a publicly listed company, we have an obligation to, to shareholders to drive a commercial return. There's no question about that. But it's also how do we ensure that the customers that we approve get the right outcome uh, is as important as the commercial outcome. So, you know, we look at um, we look at all that information about previous behaviors uh, to try to make those decisions. More and more, we're relying on, on uh, as I mentioned before, things like open banking um, to help us enhance that decision process. Um, and uh, it, it's, a, it's something that emerged in the UK uh, several years ago, and I think really just in the last year or so has become um, a much more powerful tool for customers and for uh, companies like ourselves to just make sure that we're making the absolute right decisions for customers, and customers are getting the best chance to get that the best product they possibly can as well. So uh, that's emerging more and more, um, and uh, you know we. We, as I said, we constantly are are evolving and reviewing customer information based on behavior that we see. Where are they transacting? How much are they transacting? Um, are they making minimum payments? Are they making more than minimum payments? And and how do we tailor what we're offering to them based on on that information? It's an ongoing process. Yeah, and it's it's great to hear the agility within the credit market as well now. And I think you know that that's constantly evolving. Um, you know, generally with financial technology, and with your experience, Tom, over the years, how how have you seen the credit market change? Have you seen any big dramatic changes within it? Well, I mean, it's interesting because in some some cases, um, it uh, it feels uh, having worked in it for a long time, it does feel like some elements of it are quite similar to even even twenty years ago. Um, you know, a credit card is still fundamentally a credit card. Um, uh, it, it has a has an interest rate, it has a credit limit, etc. Um, and so, many ways on the surface, it looks looks very similar. Um, but what I think you've seen is um, some changes within that market and changes more broadly in that. Uh, you have, you know, frankly, you don't really need plastic anymore to, to, to operate a credit card. Uh, you know, you can work through e-wallets um, quite handily and, and make payments on your mobile phone. So that's a big change, I would say. Um, you know, everyone still issues plastic, but you could certainly see in a few years where that becomes an optional part of the relationship as opposed to something that, that's core to it. Um, you've seen a lot of new products come out recently. In some, some ways, they are uh, old products sort of updated for a, a digital age. So the buy now, pay later services like Klarna, et cetera, which have taken off and, and um, become a very successful um, uh, way to allow people to spread payments. Um, you know, they're based on an old model. I mean, often historically you could go to a department store and buy something over time, et cetera. So it's, it's not, it's not necessarily new, but it's updated and, and, and more, um, Flicker and, and better user experience uh, for the digital age. Um, I think what you are seeing is um, a shift, especially among younger customers, towards their attitude towards credit. So uh, one of the things, uh, the piece of data that I've seen, and I can't remember the exact percentages now, but um, the sort of 18 to 25-year-old segment is much less likely to want to have a credit card now than they were 10 years ago. Uh, and I think part of that is is a challenge for um, our industry in particular to to make a compelling reason why that form of borrowing uh, can be can be important and valuable to them. And it, and uh, and as they've drifted towards more things like uh, buy now pay later, um, you know, there's there's this real need I think for for us to 
reassert, I think, the value of the flexibility of a credit card and being able to pay that over time and, and uh, smooth out um, cash flow challenges that you might have. So I think there's, there, there's a shift definitely in the younger audience there. There's a shift towards digital. Um, I think there's, uh, you know, uh, there's been a lot more regulation in our space as well, uh, especially coming out of the, the last financial crisis. Um, there were a lot of practices within the credit card market, which uh, were arguably not designed to have the, the customer's interest at heart. And a lot of those have changed in the last 10 or 12 years. Um, so I think it's a better market for customers. I think it's a more digital market. Um, I think, you know, it's a market where uh, young people are choosing to borrow in different ways than the, than perhaps their parents did. Yes, yeah, so not just technological advances, but behavioural changes over the years. And I, I, how do you see that evolving in the future? I mean, I'm, I'm asking you to look into a crystal ball, which is one of my favourite things to do. But uh, anything that's on the horizon that you think we're going to see a massive shift change within the market? Well, I mean, I think I think what we'll see is a continuation of some of the trends we've, we've seen more recently. Um, so I do think this this uh, essentially your mobile phone will become uh, is already becoming for many people, but will continue to become the core way in which you transact and interact with financial services. So um, uh, you will see that that continue. You'll see more and more of uh, payments and transactions going through that device. Uh, so that's going to continue almost certainly. Um, I think you're just going to see more flexibility around credit products. So um, uh, you, you'll be able to do things like within the same credit card product, uh, choose to pay off an installment as opposed to make sort of your regular minimum payments. Um, you'll be able to choose to sweep some of that balance over to a loan potentially. Um, you may be able to, um, you know, uh, I think we'll, what we'll also see actually is using some of that open banking data and credit information, uh, people will be able to know more instantaneously if they're getting the best possible deal they could get. And so you're going to see, I think, coming back to the financial inclusion point, um, uh, this customer's more empowered to manage their uh, financial services relationships and get, when I say the best deal, I mean really the best uh, ability to get credit at an affordable cost to them based on how well they performed on those credit products. And I think historically there was a little bit of, um, it wasn't an intention to keep customers in the dark, but customers just simply didn't know whether or not the deal they were getting is a good one. But now you have services like ClearScore, which alongside understanding what your, uh, your credit score is at any one time, they'll also be able to tell you what products you're eligible for at any one time across the whole market. So I think that really speaks to a challenge for, um, it's a good thing for customers. It's a challenge for uh, players in that market just to be on top of their game and making sure they're op- they're offering the best value possible to customers. Yeah, and just while we're, we're kind of talking about the future, I'd be really interested to know if you've got any predictions on um, how social media and digital identities might impact the future of, of the credit market, because we're hearing a lot about that at the moment. And certainly with the Khalifa review that came out recently, you know, that seems to be a big focus on the future. What, what do you think the impact will be on our market? Yeah, I think it's a, I'll be honest, I think it's a bit of a tricky one, because I think um, certainly four or five years ago, uh, that that held great promise, as in, uh, you could use um, people's uh, uh, data from Facebook, for example, are they friends with people who are low credit risk, and therefore, can we infer that they might be low credit risk, and and those sorts of things. 
um, uh, and uh, and you know their LinkedIn profiles and their Twitter profiles, etc., and, and crunch that data through and build models around it and see what's predictive. And so that held a lot of promise um, several years ago, and I think it still holds promise. There's no doubt, but I think there's been equally a, a growing lack of comfort with that data being used by financial services firms, especially in a way that potentially isn't as transparent um, as, as, as we'd all like it to be. So I, I, my view on it, and uh, I could of course be wrong, is I think the jury's a little bit still out on how we'll end up um, it, using that information. Um, I think whatever happens, I think it'll need to be based on the customer willingly and knowingly uh, accepting that information is going to be used in that way. And in some cases, of course, it could really benefit the customer. But what you don't want is the, the potential negative impacts of that information getting into the wrong hands, et cetera. So I think um, I'm cautiously optimistic that we'll find a solution that works for both customers and, and, uh, and companies in this space. Um, but I think there's probably more caution about it than there was a few years ago. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting view on it, actually, Tom. Listen, thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's been great to kind of pick your brains on on all things from Vanquist to the credit market and financial inclusion. But it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Katie, and uh, happy to chat and uh, speak again soon. I hope.